Well, I'm very happy to introduce a guest preacher today. We are, as a small church plant, incredibly gifted with a wealth of talent and experience and leadership in Christian ministry in our community. And so today we have Jonathan Good preaching. Jonathan is well known to many of you. Jonathan has a background in ministry, leads a nonprofit called Orchard. He's the executive director for Orchard. Orchard helps normal Christians like you and me figure out what it means to love and serve their community well. And today we're shifting gears. We spent most of the summer sitting with 1 Corinthians, sitting with these themes of the church, the love of the church, what it means for us to encounter that love. And as we now jump back into the Gospels, as we head into the fall, I know it doesn't feel like fall, but it is coming. And as we head into the fall, we're going to be back in the Gospels for a while, looking at the treasure of the church. What are the things that we treasure most in our lives, the things that are at the core of our being and our identity that we love and give ourselves to? And really want to think about what does it mean to treasure God, to treasure his people, this community to which we belong, and also the things that he loves, those outside the church, as we give ourselves to them as well. And Jonathan, working in many of these fields, I'm really excited for you to hear from him and from his experience in that, and just a blessing to us. Jonathan studied ministry at Beeson Divinity School in Alabama, connected to Samford University, uh, and is also a faithful volunteer in our nursery. And so from nursery to preaching, he's been up and ready for anything we've asked him to do, and so I'm very happy uh, to welcome him and introduce him to you today. So Jonathan, come on down. It's nice. I like that long, dramatic walk. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice effect. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. For those of you who have been around the church for a while, I've been here since we got started, and I just want to say, Trip, thank you for the first time asking me to preach, asking me to preach a sermon that includes the phrase, whoever must comes to me and does not hate his father and mother uh, cannot be my disciple. So I just want to tell you how grateful I am to start off from that position now. Now, actually, Trip asked me if I would do this on July the 22nd. I, I know that not because I am very smart at remembering dates. I don't. I had to go look at an email to remember it. But uh, he asked me that, and the reason that that stood out to me was because uh, I follow something that a lot of you follow. Our congregation follows called the Lectionary, and it has a series of readings that are available across our church and Anglican churches across the world. Uh, where we get four selections every, or about four selections every single day. And um, uh, I follow that because I don't have to make a lot of decisions. And so I just get to look at what's there. And thankfully, it's the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit still does stuff in that. So on that day, uh, July 22nd was something called the parable of the sower from Mark chapter four. If you've never read it, I recommend you reading it. If this is interesting to you afterwards, maybe maybe you will go back and read it. So it's Mark four, one to 20. And in that, it talks about how the word lands in people's souls. And it kind of relates their soul to uh, sort of uh, the ground that it lands on. And uh, if you read that passage, there's all these different kinds of soil and you want to be the good soil that it lands on and that you respond well to. And uh, most times I think I'm the good soil. I just got to be honest. But for some reason, when I'm reading it on that uh, morning, I think I'm the thorny soil. Um, and then it hit me something that I've never felt. It was a conviction that seemed foolish and even seemed unchristian to say out loud. So might as well say it with a microphone in my hand. Um, my devotion to my family sometimes hinders my willingness to follow Jesus. 
That's so hard to say in American Christianity that places family and God right there beside each other. I just have to say that. Like, just feeling that, coming home and thinking, my desire for my family to experience comfort sometimes hinders my ability to serve Christ with all I have. That was a a strange conviction for me to have. So I had that conviction that morning. um, And then I... uh, then I got that email and I read the passage and I was like, well, great. Now we get to spend several weeks thinking about being convicted by uh, my family. And uh, my wife, Ashley, can attest to this. I've prepared lots of sermons before. This was one of the, um, the most personally convicting ones that I've ever prepared Uh, Maybe it's the phase of life my family's in. I have a two-year-old son and a three-month-old son that's back there getting rocked that I hope does not start crying in the middle of this. But uh, that's the phase of life I'm in. So I'm thinking a lot about my family. That's something that's on my mind a lot. And so this was something that I was thankful that I got the opportunity to walk through, but also something that is a very hard passage to read and process. And for some of you, you're gonna hear language like hate your mother and father and tune out. Or for some of you, you're gonna hear it and you're gonna get so hung up on those words. The, the, the reality of really processing this text is gonna be very difficult. And so for all of us in here, I, I wanna start by saying an extra prayer. I wanna start by asking the Lord to soften our hearts and soften our spirits to hear whatever it is that he would have us say and that, 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 would, that I would simply be a mouthpiece for that and that he would speak through his word and through this random person that's standing in front of you that you, some of you maybe have never met. So I'm gonna pray for that and then we're gonna just walk through the text. Father, this is one of those passages that is just hard culturally to handle. It's hard culturally, not because of the wider culture, but in some ways it's hard culturally because of our Christian culture. Lord, whatever you're trying to say here, help us hear it and nothing else. Whatever you're trying to communicate here, make it clear and let everything else, the distractions from this, the ways that uh, there may be other things on our mind, whatever, whatever is distracting from this moment, God, I pray that you would just ease our mind and ease our spirit and allow us to hear what it is that you would have us to say. And Father, from that, I pray that you would allow us to know how you would have us faithfully respond. God, I pray that this sermon would not just lead to new thoughts, but to new actions. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start right off. That word hate, right right in the, right in the very beginning, the word hate here seems like something that could just hang us up. And I admit it hung me up when I first when I first heard it, and I had to do some some searching to kind of figure out what exactly was happening here, and a lot of prayer to sort of ask God to communicate what is He trying to communicate here. And I realized that today we use the word hate a lot, and the word hate is used today to sort of represent an active, um, uh, sort of active aggression against someone, active opposition against someone. The way that hate's being presented here, it's not in the same way. 
It's not a hostility towards someone, a sort of active hostility towards someone. In fact, if you want a context of how hate might be used in this passage, look at Genesis 29, where uh, you have Jacob, who has two girls involved, Rachel and Leah, and he's really digging Rachel, not so much into Leah. Leah might not be a bad person, but you know, she's not the apple of his eye. Rachel is the apple of his eye, yet the passage speaks about how Leah was hated. It, it, it was probably not an active, active hatred in the same way that we may think of acted, active hatred today, but it was a clear pecking order. Rachel was the favorite. She was the one that... Jacob was after. And what Christ is saying here is not that you should be actively opposed to your family. What he's saying here is that uh, he wants your ultimate love and affection and allegiance. He wants to be number one, clearly. This is not some sort of like sort of one and one A and one B. No, he's saying, I am number one. That is it. That is my place. There is a clear pecking order here and I am to be number one. And this is part of following me. It's just so fascinating because I think in so many of our circles, we have somehow elevated family beyond what the Bible does to a place of of ultimate allegiance. And I have to say, I love my wife. I love my kids, but this, this this has a time clock on it. This world, everything in it, including our families, has a time clock on it. And we're being invited and challenged. I would say challenged because this, is, this, this passage is about us actually determining what it really costs to follow Christ. We're being called into a space that's saying, realize where you're placing your investment and how much this calls of you. It's a lot. And I would honestly love to be able to just like sort of um, tame this But that's not the reality. Jesus is saying, I want to be number one. Following me, I'm number one. I'm not like number one on the list. I might even be on my own list, but I'm at the top wherever it is. This passage uses a piercing analogy of hating family to make it clear just how much he's calling to be number one. But from our affections, he shifts in verse 27 to our actions. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What was really interesting about this is that you and I hear that and know exactly what he's talking about. If they would have heard it, they would have had no idea that he was going to be carrying a cross to his own crucifixion. This was before that happened. This, this chronologically happened before he carried the cross to his own crucifixion. So you and I have the, uh, the capability of hearing this, understanding a little more about what he was saying here, but he's calling us to a level of sacrifice that is way more than maybe a lot of us are used to expecting. You know, a lot of us grew up in context, I, oh, just a few things. A lot of us grew up in context where in order to win people for Christ, in order to see people make decisions for Christ, and probably often with very good intentions, we downplay the demands of following him. We limited them. We put so much emphasis on making a decision that we didn't actually communicate what that decision was going to mean for you. In an effort to see our churches grow, we often downplayed the passages of scripture that seem more challenging. We would avoid them. That's one of the things that's great about the lectionary. You can't. You have to deal with them one way or the other. 
You have to deal with them. Holiness in many of our contexts was often limited to to morality, particularly sexually, and less tied to our willingness to follow Christ regardless of the cost. We were told if you wanted to be holy, you needed to be sexually pure. And those two things in and of themselves are not equal. Sexual purity is a good thing, but it's part of holiness, not all of it. But this is what it means to truly follow Christ. This is what it means to live a life where we are saying, God, you are number one. And increasingly we are being shaped by a mindset of not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. But this is, this is hard. And it's clear in this passage that what Christ is trying to do is to get his followers to count the cost of following him. It's very clear what he's trying to do here. He does this with these two illustrations. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether or not he has enough to complete it. He's telling you to take an inventory of what this is going to mean for you. Otherwise, when he had laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. All who see it begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What's great about these illustrations is that I don't have to do much work there. You know what he's trying to say. Illustration two, or what king going out to wage a war against another king will not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him or with 20,000. If he cannot, then will the others, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, realizing he can't follow in this way. He's saying that this is where the guy sort of throws in the flag for both the tower builder and the king headed toward the picture is the same. When you are doing anything worth truly doing, anything worth truly doing, you need to take time to count what it'll take for you to finish what you start. And the same is true for following Christ. He's, he's putting instructions on us that are heavy and that are challenging. And I'm gonna admittedly say are not fun, but they're part of following Jesus. Salvation is free. Salvation is completely free and Jesus is filled with compassion and kindness and love and mercy for forgiveness and freedom from the bondage of sin is at hand and available to all who call on the name of Jesus. But a life of following Jesus is one of consistently placing your will and my will under his will and embracing whatever it is he has for us. And that's really hard. It's really hard. So then he sums up the passage with one last little challenging reminder, especially for those of us who live in a country as wealthy as America. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The end. So, at Trinity... We hope to be a people growing in Christ-likeness. And the reality is, if you just take the heaviness of this and you don't dig a little deeper, you won't grow in Christ-likeness. You'll just feel really defeated. So now I want to turn to the encouraging part. I want to turn to the part that allows you to walk out of here and feel like, okay, I can do that. I can begin to take steps in that direction. The hope is to be honest about what the text says, but honesty about what the text says certainly does not mean hopelessness about actually implementing it into our lives. 
honesty about what the whole text says means that you have what you need to follow Christ really, really well. You have all that you need to follow Christ really well. And so my aim for the remainder of of the time is to hit on four points that I hope will make really clear that you can do it and that it's worth it. Then that's the first point. The sacrifice is worth it. So Christ is calling us to total allegiance and total obedience. That is a call. That's what he's saying here. But you don't determine whether or not a sacrifice is worth something purely by what the sacrifice is. You can determine what the sacrifice is worth by what you get in return. This is a good investment. And I know for some of you, it's going to feel weird for you to hear that from somebody standing up with a preaching kind of standpoint, but this is a good investment. This is a very good investment. In fact, I would make the case this is the greatest investment you can make, and we make investments all the time. A little bit of time every day is a sacrifice. But when you choose to spend it with your spouse and your kids in place of staying late at the office in hope for some sort of promotion, you make long-term relational investments that will pay off dividends. A little less pizza and a little more raw vegetables, it's a sacrifice. But over time, it leads to your organs and a stomach that says, thank you. It's an investment and the reward is worth it. A little bit of money each month is a sacrifice. But put in the right place and you can make your retirement years significantly less stressful and significantly more enjoyable. We know this in every part of our life, yet in our faith, sometimes it seems like it's strange to talk in these terms. Christ is calling us to make an investment of total allegiance and total obedience into him. The cost of discipleship includes my thoughts, my words, my possessions, my times, my dreams, and yes, even my family's comfort. But following Jesus is the way to experience true life, both eternally and now. It's the way to experience what life has to really offer. It's in Christ, and that will confound what maybe your expectations of life were without him. But that's, that's the payoff. You get the fullness of life in him. It's worth it. It takes work. So this, this takes work. And I want to say that on the front end. Discerning the will of the Lord takes practice. It's not something you do in isolation either. So one great thing about this church and many churches around our city are there, there are great communities of faith where many people are spurring one another on to greater faith in Good works. The Lord has placed us in a city that just happens to have a lot of wonderful Christians that will spur you on to greater faith and good work, but you have to put yourself in those contexts. Once again, when, when you're trying to figure out what a calling might look like on your life, how you can follow the Lord, having those people around you helps you actually to make those decisions. Having those people around you helps you to have a prism through which they can, they can speak truth into your life in the name of Jesus. Incorporate scripture reading. Use the lectionary. Incorporate scripture reading into your life. Make this a part of the work that you're doing. These ideas of community and scripture reading are, are, uh, are just part of the work that you're able to do. Look at your context, your relationships, and your interests, and your desires, and your talents. These are all places that the Lord can can begin to direct you and lead you and, um, and pray. So we are very good at praying about um, our sick relatives. 
And we're often less good about praying about how the Lord might be leading us to follow him. What does that look like with my life to lay my life down? Hey, Lord, I want to make you number one. And I want to do whatever you'd have me to do. Will you tell me what that is? It's saying prayers like that, making a habit of actually praying that over your life so that you can hear from him and know how he's leading you. The third thing, so, so the first thing was the sacrifice is worth it. This takes work. The third thing is be open to hard things. Opportunities come along all the time, especially if you're part of a local church like Trinity. You're gonna hear of an opportunity to, you know, serve with Lazarus that's coming up in a few weeks. I'd recommend you consider it. I'm not telling you that you have to do it, but I know for a lot of us, there are certain people who are more prone to those things. And then there are certain people that are excited that certain people are more prone to those things and you just let them go with it. For some of you, maybe it's time to try some things that you've never tried before. Maybe it's time to participate in things you've never participated in. Hey, for others of you, you've been coming to this church for a while now. And if they just had a, if we just had a youth program, you'd be all in, but you're not quite there yet. Uh, I would say for one of the things you can consider, and I can say this as a lay preacher, not as a person who's paid by the church, uh, you uh, should jump in. Lay down your desires for what a church looks like and help to build one. That's an opportunity we have. And it, it, it's so countercultural. It is counter, and when I mean counterculture, I'm not attacking the culture outside. I'm kind of attacking our Christian culture that's told you to expect certain things before you get involved or to feel a certain way before you get involved. Sometimes you just need to do stuff to get involved. And sometimes you just need to throw yourself into places. I serve in the nursery. I don't serve in the nursery because I'm emphatic about serving in the nursery. I serve in the nursery because our church needs it. And so for some of you, maybe you've never taken a step like that. And maybe now is the time. The final thing, you, you, you can, you can actually do this. You can do it. You can, you can follow what Christ has laid out here for you, but it will take sacrifice. And thankfully, we serve a Lord who's not demanding perfection. He's not calling us to be perfect people. He's calling us to continue to strive toward growing in Christ's likeness, to continue to look for ways and to be honest about the ways in which our hearts and our souls are not directed towards him and to chip away at those and to be willing to have that changed and transformed, molded and shaped more and more into his likeness until we see him completely. This passage is not about you hating your mom and your dad. This passage is about you loving Jesus. And it may be one of the most challenging ones in all the scriptures. Let's pray and I'm gonna ask you to stand and we'll do the Nicene Creed. Hey, Father, thank you so much that, um, that you first loved us and you have not asked us to do any of this to earn your love. Thank you that you, you made a decision to love us and embrace us right where we are without having to do anything except welcome your embrace. And so, Lord, I pray specifically for the people in here who would say they know you and they've been walking with you. I pray that all of us would feel a renewed sense of urgency to grow more and more into your likeness and to let the things that are hindering that fall away anything that is hindering our ultimate allegiance and affection and willingness to follow where you lead.
please break those things away. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince, and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.